The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But we got what it takes for the cycle to break. Revolution lives in me. Welcome to the Untamed and Unashamed podcast. This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning, and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are, while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce, and I'm so happy that you're here. So today I'm going to be uh, recording a little solo cast for you guys about sacred sisterhood, religious woundings, and mushrooms in the woods. (laughs) So I remember last year when one of my longest friendships was falling away. It felt like a breakup. And just like in those breakups where you're crying and crying and you can't stop and then one day you wake up and it hits you, that you're better off. Instead of sulking about all the things you loved about the person, you were then hit with the reasons why the relationship was not good for you. The ways you were not heard, the ways you were not seen, the ways you felt under their finger. It doesn't mean that you don't miss them anymore, but you realize that your separating was for the higher good of both of you. And after that friendship ended, I started, you know, after going through that process, I began to look at all of my friendships. I didn't want to be in any relationships where I didn't have the space to be me, where my creative process or my experience was not allowed to unfold naturally. I didn't want to be in any relationships where I had to fit into their box or their container in order to be accepted. Another thing that I really, really wanted in my friendships was non-judgment and non-duality. With all that's going on in the world, there's so many pointing of the finger, saying what's right and wrong, so much black and white, and I no longer wanted to contribute to that energy or be a part of it or even be around it. If I wasn't able to at least speak up and offer my perspective without making them wrong either, of course. And it makes me think of Rumi's quote, which I now have framed. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing, there is a field I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make any sense. I wanted to be in that field. 
I wanted to meet my friends there. I wanted to make love there. And part of not making other people wrong also meant that I didn't want any of my friendships to have a foundation of gossip. There were friendships that began in my early 20s that started out because we were bar hopping buddies and we were young and we were bonding through gossip. And sadly, those relationships never evolved, even though we stayed in each other's lives. And in many of those friendships, there was so much gossip that I never felt like I could trust them when I left the room. I would leave the room knowing that something was also being said about me. And that's the thing about gossip. It causes a lack of trust because there's such a lack of integrity. So like an alcoholic does with sobriety, I let all of my friends know that that was not something that I wanted to be involved in anymore and that I was setting a very firm boundary for myself. Shortly after that, another very long friendship fell away and then a few more. And I would never deny, um, it, it would be narcissistic of me and, and just ignorant of me to deny that I am the common denominator there. So I definitely looked within and made sure to examine my part in the falling away of each friendship. And a lot of it had to do with my attachment style. And I'm working hard on that. I also know that I need to work on pausing, on sleeping on things, on being responsive and not reactive. I think that because I came from so much narcissistic abuse in my life, it took so much for me to stand up for myself and to stand in my power. And when I feel that someone is taking advantage of me or trying to control me, I tend to act right in that moment to put an end to it. You know, the pendulum swings, but I'm finding balance there. So I remember last summer when all of this was happening, telling one of my best friends, Natasha, who, by the way, has been a very, very healing friendship for me. I've never once felt judged by her. Even when she does need to speak truth to me, she always sees my intention and speaks that first. And I feel truly known by her. And we share the struggle of what it takes to be a mom. And that creates an incredible bond. And I have learned so much from her. And I have her to thank for so much that's in my life now because she introduced me to plant medicine, which ultimately put me on the path I am on today. Anyhow, I remember when all of this was happening, I was sitting with her and I very firmly and authoritatively said out loud to her, all of the things that I was calling in in my friendships, what I would and would not accept anymore in my life. And I felt something energetically in my body as I spoke it. It almost felt like a command to the universe. And while I knew that I played a part in the ending of those friendships, I also knew that a house cleaning was happening and that space was being made. I kept envisioning myself in a circle of four women in ritual space with this ancestral energy between us that was lifetimes old. There's a woman named Becca who I met around 12 or 13 years ago in New York. And we renewed models at a lighting workshop by a well-known photographer named Lindsay Adler. And I remember meeting her even at this young age and feeling a familiarity with her soul. At this age, I was carrying my journal around with me everywhere, basically living out of a red suitcase, just traveling the world shooting. And I handed it to her for her to read. And I laugh at all the ways that this friendship started. Us being naked, me handing her my journal on the first day we met. And damn, I, I wish so badly that I could find one of the photos of us posing nude together at this workshop. But we add each other on Facebook and we keep in touch over the next decade. And 
Uh, we even had a couple of the same uh, connections with men uh, without knowing it during that decade, which is, is funny as we weren't even living in the same city at all. But as spirit would have it, she ended up moving to Austin. And around the time that some of the friendships were falling away from me, two of her closest girlfriends moved to Austin as well. And there was an instant comfortability with them. They felt like instant, they felt like sisters immediately. On the very first time that we met up, we offered wisdom and reflections around the story of the Buffalo woman, called in more abundance, ate raw buffalo heart, danced around it, and then Becca played her drum over us and we all cried and then cuddled. And this was our very first get together. And I knew I had found my Magdalene sisters, my sisters of the sacred rose. Nothing I said was too weird for them, were too heavy, were too out there. And I was so intrigued by each of them. On our second meeting, we had the theme of a funeral where we wrote out the things that we wanted to die to, and then we threw it in the fire, sang to it, and danced around it. Our third meeting was the ceremony that I told you guys about a few episodes ago on my last solo cast. And on our fourth meeting, we went to the getaway house out in Wimberley and took mushrooms. I highly recommend it. Basically, uh, the getaway house is a glamper out in, in nature, and they have like 30 to 40 units, and they all have like typical names like the Brian house, the Jack house, the Sally house. But when we got the notification that we were in the Sophia house, we all started squealing with excitement and joy. Not only had we been recently sharing passages from the Sophia um, code, not, not the Sophia code, it's um, Return of the Dauphin. The Return of the Divine Sophia is a book that I highly recommend. We'd all been sharing passages from that recently. But also, the Hebrew term of Sophia translates to the feminine personification of wisdom. Sophia is the archetype of spiritual wisdom in women's spirituality circles in which she is viewed as the divine feminine. Sophia was a major figure in the beliefs of first century Gnostic Christians who were denounced as heretics and persecuted in the fourth century. Sophia is both divine female creator and counterpart to Jesus Christ. According to Gnostic beliefs, Christ was conceived of as having two aspects, a male half identified as the son of God and a female half called Sophia, who was venerated as the mother of the universe. I can feel that this thought can be triggering for followers of the Bible who also refer to God as a male. But I hope that just for a moment, you can open your mind and your heart to the idea that maybe this was patriarchal programming to make religion so male, to remove the divine feminine. I know that many grew up seeing photos of Jesus depicted as being a white man with blonde hair and blue eyes. Why? Because there was a not-so-hidden agenda. And many of us have now realized that he was so far from that image. So could it be possible that maybe there was programming around the masculine and feminine parts of the story as well? When we arrived, we all pulled a Divine Feminine Oracle card. And I've never been drawn to tarot cards. I've always been very pulled towards oracle cards, though. And I believe that spirit speaks to me and that my soul chooses a card. And I know that many Christians or, or religions think that this is not okay. But it's the same as in the Bible when someone would ask for a fleece or a sign from God saying, if you want me to do this, then make there be some dew on the grass tomorrow morning. It's the same thing. 
as when we put our hands on our hearts and we ask a question and then we feel drawn to a card. We turn it over and we get a message or a sign from God. I pulled the Saraswati card whose message is, the essence of who I am flows effortlessly into everything that I create. My three sisters pulled Kali, Sarah, who is Jesus and Mary Magdalene's daughter, and yes, this has been proven by historians and theologians, and the Isis card. Isis is who Mary Magdalene trained with. I had bought a few crystals on the way to the land, a large Labradorite, and a couple little ones, and they always look so magical to me. I grabbed a small one for my boyfriend and truly felt like I had found treasure. So we get to the land, we get to the glamper, and we drink the medicine, which was around, I think, three or four grams of penis envy. And we went and sat around the fire and spoke our intentions. And just like penis envy always does, the medicine came on really strong, really fast. And I remember looking at the trees and being able to see their DNA, which by the way, if you didn't know already, we share DNA with trees and there's some really cool information on that if you want to look it up. But it was so intense for me that I had to keep looking away. I kept feeling like, ah, crap, what have I done? This feels like it could get dark and hard. But now, looking back, I know that was me purging not only that fear, but some of that that was within me, and I kept pushing through and staring at the fire and asking for support. And every time I looked at one of my sisters, they were, um, they were something else. So like they stayed this all night, but each one was something else. So one of them was this blue avatar-looking beautiful being. Another one was a Native American woman, and another one was so old that it almost didn't seem possible. She looked probably like 300 years old and she was so, so beautiful. I felt so much love for her and I knew that I had been loving her for all 300 of those years, that our souls had been doing this for a long, long time. I then felt this guilt come over me that Natasha wasn't there, that best friend that I mentioned earlier. I'm not sure why, but this heavy heavy guilt just like came over me and, and, and then it lifted. And I realized that she was at home being a mother, raising this beautiful priestess. And I also saw myself serving medicine to her daughter one day, and she was just such a divine force. But I felt awe for Natasha and the work that she was doing at home in that moment, probably breastfeeding in the middle of the night. And then I realized that all the work that we were doing there in that circle was also for Natasha. She was doing work for us, and we were doing work for her. And all women who have chosen this path together are always doing this. I cried in gratitude, and then I received a message from Spirit that I am to never, ever have an unspoken difference or grievance with another medicine woman. And a woman came to mind that I had distanced myself from. I wasn't trusting her or feeling trusted by her. And I felt that she was being really harsh. And because I was learning to set firm boundaries in my relationships, I had projected onto that relationship. The medicine told me that when it comes to people on this path and, and people not on this path, that we must trust on the deepest level that their souls know what they are doing. Their souls chose a long, long time ago what their path is. And we must 
trust that. It doesn't mean that we don't always speak up, but we have to let go of trying to convince, of shoulding. And then with this, you know, with this woman, woman that I'm speaking of, we were both doing that to each other. I know she was feeling like I take too much medicine and, and enroll in too many courses. And I was feeling like she was coming from an angry or judgmental place and a couple of different political stances, as well as not allowing me the space to be me. Uh, you know, who knows what else she was feeling about me, but it was clear that I needed to discuss this with her. That any unspoken grievances or hindrances that we hold with another medicine woman strongly affects the potency of our work on multiple levels. That, that thing that I spoke of where the work I, that we're doing affects this woman and the work she's doing affects us, that it, that it takes some potency from that when we have unspoken grievances. So I was given that homework to, to settle that with her and to not have that between other medicine women. I started to feel a bit overwhelmed by the medicine. So I stepped inside and I picked up the Labradorite crystal and I saw my son's face in it, but he was yelling and it startled me, but I kept sending him love and kissing his little face on the crystal and telling him how much I love him. I stepped back outside and we decided that each woman would lay down while the other three of us would pray and sing over her, offering her blessings and nourishment. When the first woman lay down, I held onto her feet and spoke in tongues, which is basically just the language of spirit. When I was around 15, I was slain in the spirit at a church, which basically means I fell backwards and started to speak the Holy Spirit language, which non-Christian or non-religious people typically call light language. And it's so interesting that that happened to me when I was 15 and that 22 years later, I'm still using it outside of the church. Well, it's all become my church. It sounds like this. So basically, spirit knows what to pray for that we don't know. It knows what we need. All that we don't know or that we don't remember. And so it is a high form of prayer. And I do it almost every day. And my son does it as well. I prayed in spirit throughout her entire blessing, but never sing a song. I'm still opening up to that gift of song in a channeling way. Um, the other sisters have it, and it is such a gift to receive from, and I'm, I'm opening up to that. Becca's prayer uh, over this woman was a Congolese woman that often speaks through her that she channels. Again, if this sounds too out there for you, how is this different from when a prophet is speaking on a stage at a church? I've been there. I've heard it. It's a different person's voice speaking for from God. It happens in the Bible. So why is that allowed to be God or the Holy Spirit? And this be questionable. We can't dictate how we hear from God or how others hear from God. I understand that there are different portals, but we are extremely intentional. The next sister laid down and I again prayed in spirit over her with my hands in a diamond shape over her yoni and womb. That was what I felt led to do. And the other sister sang and prayed. Towards the end of her blessing, she sat up and turned to me and said, would you like an initiation? And I giggled a little and said yes and laid down. They put the Labradorite on my forehead and covered me in rose petals. And I cried and I smiled a lot and I felt like a priestess. The Congolese woman came through again. 
through Becca, and she kept saying, Queen, Queen, get ready, get ready, Queen. And my whole body gets chills just remembering it. The rest of her language was Congolese, so I couldn't understand it. But because I've spent time in Central Africa, I know what two of the words mean. I know that Ubuntu is a term meaning humanity. It is sometimes translated as I am because we are, and also I am because you are, or humanity towards others. And I know when I was in Central Africa, they use it to say welcome. So they literally say welcome by saying I am because we are. She also kept saying Witiko, but as if she was dispelling it. And I looked up Paul Levy's book, which is literally called Dispelling Witiko, and was drawn to this passage first. A real cure for Witiko involves a radical phase shift in consciousness out of the limited and limiting to valued logic of the conventional mind into a more expanded and expansive logical framework. In other words, the cure for Witiko is an expansion of consciousness in which we awaken into a higher dimensional space of not just our being, but being itself. And I think there's something to the fact that she was using that word as well as a word that translates into humanity. I'm still digging into this and I plan on reading his whole book soon. So it was clear as this Congolese woman was speaking through Becca that she was an ancestor or a guide of mine. I talked about my other two guides on this podcast before, but I've always known that I've had three or four of them. The first one who I've spoken of was Mary Magdalene. The second one was Guadalupe, the Aztec woman that I spoke of last year. And this Congolese woman, she was so different than the other two. I almost can't even articulate it. It's unsayable what her energy is like. She's very naked, but without even noticing it. She's where I get my nakedness from. She is so in her power. She speaks with so much power. She dances with so much power. She's so fierce. Her love is fierce. Her wisdom is fierce. Her connection to the earth is fierce. She is like the earth itself. And I feel like I know her so well. There was a woman that I met when I was 15 who had a very similar presence and energy to her. We developed a mother-daughter-like relationship, and it was a very, very hard time in my life. And I'm certain that we shared that connection because of this woman, that, that this guy brought that woman into my life at such a dark time. But I want to talk about how this woman is Congolese for a moment. So when I was in my young 20s, I felt a strong pull to be with African people, to learn about them, to learn from them. I even had some tapestry with a map of Africa on it that I think I found at like Goodwill or something. I had it hanging above my couch for like a decade. I started to get involved in helping the children who were kidnapped and forced to fight the war in Central Africa, in Uganda and in Congo. And what's crazy is it's part of why I left the church because I wanted to get involved in this and I wanted to set up a booth and they told me no. And they, uh, many of them were telling me that it was basically like taking time away from the kingdom of God because they wanted me more building the church and, and this thing they called the government of 12. So I left because I was like, what the fuck? Like, this is not the work of God. The work of God is caring for these orphans and these widows. And so it's crazy to me that like this Congo, this Central Africa, Uganda, partly like played a role in me leaving this church and in the path that I, I ended up walking down. 
So I started doing fundraisers and putting together huge benefits to send money over there to help. And I got involved with Invisible Children and attended their summits and even camped out on the lawn at the Capitol trying to get this cause that was so dear to my heart, more attention. I flew to D.C., and I was very, uh, it was the very first time that I met my very best friend and mentor, Tom Shadiak. And I smile thinking about how Africa played a role in bringing him into my life. It also played a role in bringing Becca to Austin. So Becca was deciding between two different cities. And I was just seeing which one, uh, she was just seeing which one she could find a more suitable roommate for, her and her son. And when I was preparing for one of those benefits, like a decade ago, I posted on Craigslist that I needed to be, I needed art and photography to be donated for the silent auction. So I met up with around like 10 artists and photographers to pick up donated items. And there was this one woman that I met at a gas station to grab some photography from. There was something about her that really stood out to me. It was in her smile. And I added her on Facebook and here we are a decade later, Becca was asking for a roommate. And I remembered that that photographer had just posted the day prior that she was looking for a roommate. So I connected them and they were a perfect fit and Becca moved to Austin. So now I'm smiling again at the thought that Africa played a part in bringing her to Austin because I only met that woman because I was picking up her art for the, for the donation to the benefit. I'll also add that I have a tattoo of Africa on my right foot. It was my first tattoo and I got it when I was 23. There's a heart over Uganda and Congo. And I wasn't sure why I was always so drawn to them. But two years ago, when I was really digging into my ancestry, I took a DNA test and found out that I was 3% Congolese. And I didn't think much of it because it's only 3%. But now I'm looking at my three guides and seeing how they are tied to my ancestry. I'm 80% French, which is Mary Magdalene, 17% Aztec, which is Guadalupe, and 3% Congolese, which is this woman. She hasn't revealed her name to me yet, and I need to double check, but I'm pretty sure that these are all Becca's guides as well, and she probably has more. Now for a little funny plot twist, I also received a text from Adrian Grenier on the same day of our ceremony, inviting me to meet the Queen of Congo a few nights later. And I felt Adrian wink at me in that moment, and I heard a little cosmic giggle. And I did meet the Queen of Congo a few days later, and she was divine. And I'm going to get her on the podcast. So after my blessing at the ceremony, I went back inside and looked at the Labradorite crystal again and saw my son's face, but he looked more peaceful. I again kept telling him how much I loved him. It became clear to me that the more peaceful I got throughout the night, the more peaceful he looked in the crystal because children mimic what they see. I looked over at my Saraswati card and I asked if she had anything else to tell me other than the essence of who I am flows effortlessly into everything that I create. And she said, this year, keep your pussy wet, stay dripping, and create and write your book from that place. All you need to do is keep your pussy wet. It was an unexpected message, but all of a sudden, I felt almost like my water broke. And I've never had my water break, but it's what I imagined it to feel like. Because I just felt this like warm liquid creating a pool underneath me. <laughs> it was a very interesting experience and it felt very good. And then <laughs> it was time for the fourth sister to lay down for a blessing. 
I prayed over her in spirit as well, but I also straddled her to where my yoni was on hers and I was passing some of that wetness I was just given to her, giving her all the pussy codes I've been given. And when she got up, she laughed and said, did you give me your pussy codes? <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what it felt like from her end, but so after this, we got in bed with $10,000 cash and $100 bills and all spoke our intentions to money. We asked for blessings financially. We made agreements to be good stewards, to be integral. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> we held it over our hearts. We tossed it at each other. And we made a cute little video of them showering me with it. And in the video, you can see little light orbs. And my face does some really weird stuff. So I was feeling <clears throat> so much bliss. And I feel like we had all truly stepped into our light bodies and my soul kept saying, look, we made it. Look at all the work we've done. Look at how far we've come. Look at where we're at. We're here. And it felt like the four of us had been on this path of healing and ancestral like growth for so long, lifetimes together of healing ancestral trauma forwards and backwards. And then some lives where we weren't even allowed to be doing it. And some lives we were burned because we'd been called witches. And now we were here doing it completely free to do it. And our souls were celebrating that we were in the light. We had made it through the darkness. And I say witches because think about all the things I told you we've been doing on these meetings. Like there was a time where we would have been called witches and being burned for eating a raw buffalo heart or uh, doing mushrooms in the forest or playing our drums and singing and being naked together. But my soul was so overwhelmed with this like feeling of bliss of, of like, I've made it, we've made it. We've stepped into our light bodies. But of course I know this feeling. And it's often when you think you've reached enlightenment that there's just a new path laid out for you to embark on. And you're really just at the beginning. But still, I felt so much rejoicing for how far we've come. The next morning, we took some photos in nature together. And one is framed right here on my desk. Right before leaving, I took a photo of the rose petals that were still on the ground. And in the photo, there is a perfect little rainbow above it. My heart swells with so much love when I think of it. When I got home, even though I thought I had sobered up, <laughs> The medicine still had some purging to do. And so basically when I came home, I had come to find out that my partner was not comfortable taking the crystal from me. And I'm not going to go into that too much or into our experience too much because it wouldn't be fair to him without him here to share his perspective and his experience. But for some reason, when he wouldn't take the Labradorite crystal that felt like a treasure to me, I felt like my heart was being rejected and this feeling of rejection and unacceptance that I suppose had been there for quite some time festering started to overwhelm me. I started to weep. And the only tidbit that I will share that will help this make more sense is that the difference between us is our religion and our spirituality. And that was why he couldn't take the crystal. And I realized in that moment that I have a deep, deep religious wounding 
For those of you that don't know, I was adopted into a very religious family around the time I turned 16, and the way I worshipped was dictated. The way I heard from God was dictated. How I dressed, even my weight, everything was dictated. I wasn't allowed to be me. And the thing that felt especially crippling is that I've always been a highly intuitive woman, but my own intuition was not trusted. It was extremely hierarchical and patriarchal. And on, on this day that I got to home to my partner, either I projected all of that onto him or I felt that conditioning in him and I sobbed harder than I've sobbed in as long as I can remember. I just broke and it was extremely physically and emotionally painful. He was also having trouble with the fact that my altars in our bedroom um, because I have goddesses on it, I have Ganesh on it, I have money on it, I have all the things that I want to embody and cultivate. Um, and it, it signifies something different for him. And that doesn't mean he's wrong. We just have different truths. And we almost uncoupled over this. And it's something that we're still navigating and possibly seeing if we can renegotiate. We're really not sure yet where we're headed, but our religions are very different. And I used to think that it was our spirituality that was different, but we're both being religious here. And I've always thought that my spirituality was non-dual. I didn't make other people wrong. And I've only ever had problems with spiritualities or religions that do make other people wrong. But I see that that also makes me not non-dual. While I was still in this pain of feeling rejection and having my religious wounding exposed, only two or three days later, I found out that my friend Whisper died. I met Whisper when I was around 13. She was the worship leader at my youth group and she had a voice that you could never forget. She also had a spirit that you could never forget. I don't know the other side of the story. I only know what Whisper told me, but I feel it's important for me to tell her story because it is what she said and so that means it was her experience, at least what it felt like for her. And what she told me was that when we were around 16, she told the leaders in our youth group that she also liked women. She said that they immediately removed her from the worship team, which she lived for at the time, and basically cast her out like a sinner. We both ended up moving to Austin, and I ran into her in my early 20s. She was singing in downtown bars, still had that beautiful voice and that beautiful spirit. She was then an atheist and an alcoholic with various addictions, and I could see her pain and her struggle and her worthiness. She stayed on that path, and for the life of me, I cannot figure out why I didn't introduce her to plant medicine. It feels like maybe her story was too close to home to mine or something, because there's so much pain with that church. They did so much good but I have so much pain not dealt with. And last month, a couple of days after this experience with my partner, she passed away. She had been beaten by a man so bad that she needed surgery and her organs failed her during the surgery. I know that she was trying so hard to be sober. She was doing so good. And I didn't even feel like I needed to grieve for her, de for her death because I know that what happened after her death was so healing, but I had to, I felt like I had to grieve for her life. So much of what the church did to her, what growing up in a religious family did to her. 
And that's something I'm really struggling with when it comes to the Bible and religion, that it makes people feel like they have to constantly ask forgiveness for who they are. And I never want my children exposed to that God. I never want my children to think that they are not good enough, that who they are is not good enough. I don't ever want them exposed to a God that sends homosexuals to hell. And I know and I take full responsibility that this is a projection, but because of the timeline of those events, it felt in my body like my partner's religion did this to her. And I was such an angry woman towards him for weeks while I grieved. But I also know that all of this exposed my religious woundings that I hadn't even thought about or looked at. And that him not wanting that crystal opened up a very rich, opportunity for me to heal those religious woundings. I've been reading the book, um, Return of the Divine Sophia, as well as the book, A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles is based off the Bible and the Divine, the Divine Sophia book is based off of the lost teachings of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. A Course in Miracles is very triggering for me and the Divine Sophia book is very expansive and healing for me. Um, so that's where I'm beginning that journey. My partner and I are still navigating what this means for our relationship. Uh, a couple of nights ago, he came home and he was having a really hard time with my altar again and the things on my altar. And we weren't reaching an agreement, but I noticed that my entire body started to tremble. To me, it felt like karma and trauma that was wanting to leave my body. And the next day in my class with Layla Martin, she was teaching that trauma integration can be pleasurable. That is mind-blowing for me because it's never been pleasurable. Trauma integration can be pleasurable. So we were speaking intentions into our yoni wands and then doing a practice for trauma integration. My intention was to heal my religious wounding and for that to be healed through my relationship with grace, surrender, and ease. After putting the crystal wand inside me, I started weeping and wailing and saw that my spirituality has never been accepted in any of my lifetimes. And the weeping did not sound like me. It sounded ancestral. It sounded like more than one woman. And even after we ended the practice, I was shaking. And I had orgasms during this. So there was pleasure, but it was, it was such an interesting trauma integration process. But I had a glimpse also during it of me being burned and a few familiar faces standing by watching it. It was unclear what my relationship to these people was. And it feels like every year I'm asked to heal something different. Last year, it was my sexual trauma. And this experience felt like I was given a glimpse of my relationship, my, my religious trauma. And it was like, hey, you want to heal this this year? Do you want to walk this path? And part of me feels tired and like I don't want to heal anything anymore. But I then, of course, think of last year and all the healing with my sexual trauma. I think of who I was at the beginning of the year versus who I was at the end. A woman at the end who was completely free sexually, completely connected to her pussy, feeling fully liberated and fully connected to my body in ways I never knew was possible. Working through that sexual trauma was damn sure worth it. So, of course, my answer is yes. I will always answer the call. That night, that same night of the trauma integration call with Layla, 
uh, me and my sisters met up and Becca brought a bunch of herbs and roses and made us a flower bath and we all got naked and took turns soaking while the others sang and played the drums and prayed over us. And while I was in there, the water got so hot that it felt like my skin was on fire. I was not on any medicine, but oftentimes in ritual, I can tap into medicine and it feels like I'm on it. Anyhow, it felt like I was being burned. And I thought about even what we were doing in this moment, long ago, we would have been burned and called witches. And I realized a few things while in the water. I've been using the word witch with an attitude of rebellion. I told my partner and my mom and anyone else that I know that doesn't like it, that I'm a witch. And even as I said, even though, even as I say it, I feel like I'm lying. But in that feeling, I tell myself, no, don't be conditioned. Don't shrink back. Stand in your power. Don't be conditioned. But the word witch has never fully resonated with me. And I don't know why. I truly did think that it was conditioning or from my church experiences, but it's been made clear to me that witch is, although they're just people who are connected to the earth, they're also people who practice Wiccan and work with feminine and masculine guides and energies. However, priestesses are people who don't practice Wiccan, but work with the divine feminine and all of uh, her guides or energies that she works with are in that theme. At least that's my understanding of it as of now. And the word priestess makes my spine straighten and my neck get long, and it makes me feel more loving. There's a different reaction in my body when I say witch and when I say priestess. When I was in that water, it was clear to me that I am actually not meant to use the word witch, that I am a high priestess. And there's no conflicted feelings in me when I say it. It feels like I'm saying my own name. I was also shown that while I go down this path of healing my religious woundings, it's because I'm being initiated into helping others heal their relationship with God. And I can't do that if I have religious woundings. Also, I can do this because God is with me and within me. So the next day I was on a Layla Martin call and there's like 400 of us on the call. And every Thursday she calls on someone to do a live practice uh, to coach as an example for everybody of her method. But with over 400 people on the course, not everyone's going to get a turn in this, even though it's a year long program. But the morning of this call, I thought, man, I really wanna discuss the situation that I'm going through with my partner and my religious woundings with Layla. And I just had this knowing that I was going to get called on in class. And guess what? Halfway through class, she said, today we're going to work with Jade. And even though I knew it was going to happen, my eyes like jolted out of my head. And if I were to tell you the entire session, it would be an entirely new podcast. So I'll just say that she repeatedly confirmed for me that this is a high priestess initiation. I became aware also that I was treating one human as the entire patriarchy. And I let that shit go. The question Layla asked me was, what does it look like to hold a portal without a should. That is the work of the high priestess. She also asked, what does it look like to make peace with Christianity or religion or dogma? If me and Christianity or religious dogma were on a deserted island for eternity, how would I make peace with it? 
but she also made a very important point. Not to allow love as a bypass for self-abandoning. She pointed out that trauma sticks where we self-abandon. Trauma sticks where we self-abandon. So in that family in my teen years, what would it have looked like for me to not self-abandon? There likely would not have been any trauma. So in my relationship right now, how can I love without self-abandoning? I'm going to say that again because it really, really hits home for me. Trauma sticks where we self-abandon. Obviously, when we're kids, we don't have the tools or the options to not self-abandon because we're kids. But as an adult, if we don't self-abandon, we likely will not experience trauma. So I'm saying a big yes right now to the path of healing my religious woundings through love while not self-abandoning. And I am so, so, so thankful for this high priestess initiation and for my circle of high priestess sisters. It doesn't feel weird to be naked around each other and sing and drum and cry and eat raw buffalo heart and then twerk. This is the friendship I've always been waiting for. I saw a post the other day on social media about green flags in friendships, and I'm just going to read it real quick. Green flags for healthy friendships. Your nervous system feels safe and calm when you're with them. You don't feel like you have to abandon your needs around them. Conversation is not centered around gossip, complaining, or justifying low self-worth behaviors. You support each other's growth and boundaries. And there's respectful and clear communication on both ends. That's from To Be Magnetic on Instagram. This embodies what we have and so much more. And I am so thankful for everything that fell away that did not have those green flags that made space for these women to come into my life. It was all worth it. And I'm going to end this solo cast with a little clip of us singing while we were in the bathtub the other night.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.